what you've written and what you've captured for us. We thank you, Father, for this time. We lift it up to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, uh, open it up. Turn on your app. Do whatever you need to do. Um, if you are grabbing, if you grab a Bible when you come in here, um, well, first, if you need a Bible, let us know. Um, you could take one of these. They're not the greatest. Uh, but if you'd like an actual say Bible, let us know. We'd be happy to, to purchase one for you guys. I mean, like, this is... This is God's word. There's nothing that we ought to spend more time on and in uh, than his word. So, uh, But if you do grab one of these Bibles around here, the white ones, really small font, blue ones, a little bit bigger, um, manageable, manageably bigger maybe. All right, so what have we been seeing so far um, going through Genesis, right? It's like God is making this like he's drawing close. He's drawing close, right? We, we started in God's presence, right? We've got the, the circle thing up there, right? We started in God's presence. Everything was great for like a chapter or two, right? <laughs> and, then, and then everything went south, right? Uh, so we have the fall, and then what we see is God express grace in the fall, in the, in the, the communications of, of what our disobedience, what sin brings, all the way from like broken relationships to weeds, right? Like everything has been affected by sin, right? And so what we see is that God makes this graceful promise in it, that there's going to be a seed that, that's going to conquer Satan finally and fully, um, conquer Satan and sin and death, and, and it's going to be amazing, right? But it's just kind of, it's kind of just, I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, flippant, but it's just kind of words at that point, right? But then we see God just pick Abraham. Like, he just picks his family, and he's like, this is the family I'm going to use to start rescuing humanity. That's his plan, right? So, like, if you saw God's script of, of how he's going to rescue, it's right here, by the way, in case you, but if you need an abridged version, right, like, like he's got the plan, right, and he's executing it. Um, nothing's coming to his surprise. He's not reacting. He's just executing it. So, he, he picks Abraham, and we start to see his purpose start to get communicated, like, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a blessing to all nations, right? And, and so these are the things that we start to see, and then we just see his, like, their fa family just fails, right? <laughs> like, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, like, just over and over again, they just, they just keep failing. Not that, they, not that they necessarily want to fail, they just make suspect decisions. And God, in his grace, shows that he's going to stick with them, that he's going to continue to care for them. In fact, he grabs them as his possession in Egypt. He provides for them, right? When we saw it. He provides water and bread and protection and organization and structure and, and all of these things that you need as a society. He grabs these two million uh, Israelites and he goes, you're mine. And he says, I'm going to be with you. You're mine. Like, like nothing's going to hurt you or harm you. I got you. You're mine. Just, just be mine and this will be great. And he establishes this relationship. And if you guys remember from last week, the relationship is that, that we, this, this, the Israelites, I'm going to use the term we kind of at some points in here, but I'll try to stay in context, right? Like right now, like the Israelites in the, at the end of Exodus are priests for the world. Like, like they are his priests. Like they intercede for humanity, right? God has a special relationship with them. Okay? And so that's the relationship that they have, and he takes them to the foot of Mount Sinai, right? And God, God draws in close, and he's a cloud on top of the mountain, 
And Moses is going outside of the camp, and he meets with God face to face. Like, Moses is like, I think I want to go meet with God. And he goes outside the camp, and the cloud comes in, and, and, and he meets with him. And remember what we saw at the end of last week. Moses, God gives him the Ten Commandments, and he gives him, like, all the architectural designs for building the tabernacle. And God says, I'm going to dwell in your midst. You just need to build this thing. It takes him about a year. And they build the tabernacle. And there's the Holy of Holies, right, that's in the back. That's like got the curtain. You can only go in it once per year. Moses closes the curtain, and he steps out. And God fills the, temp the tabernacle. And Moses can't go in. And that's how Exodus ends. And so we're left with this cliffhanger of like, what just happened? Why can't Moses go in? And God hits this pause button, and it's Leviticus. So we're not, we're not moving in time, right? God is communicating to Moses and Aaron the rules, how we don't get smoked in the presence of God. That's basically what it is. I, I tried thinking through like these different analogies with like, you know, if you were going to some special fancy person's house for dinner or some, you know, big thing, like you would think about what you need to wear and proper etiquette and maybe, you know, different rules and things like that. You might brush up on which fork you eat with first, you know, if it was like super fancy. There's, there's rules that, that like in order for this to be, the, for the person to be respected, there's, there's some certain rules, but none of that really like kind of held a whole lot of weight. And so what God does here in Leviticus is he establishes that he is holy. And we saw this a little bit in Exodus. If you turn over to Exodus chapter 19, verse 12, we're just going to kind of rewind for a second here and just kind of remember what's going on. Exodus chapter 19, verse 12. When, when God is on top of Mount Sinai, listen to what he says to Moses. And, and I, I think I read this before, but he says, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Didn't have guns. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So when, when God first starts like coming into their presence, like visually, and he's on the mountain, he goes, set a limit. Like, put up a fence. Like, don't let them come any closer. Like, they can come, but there's a limit to how close they can get. Why? We just sang a whole song, Show Me Your Glory. And all of us are like, yeah, just show me your glory, God. Like, this would be great. I don't think we appreciate what we're saying. Because the reality is, is that the only reason you can ask to see God's glory is because of Jesus Christ. And, and outside of Christ, you too would be smoked. <laughs> and, and I don't think we get this. I don't think we get the difference in God's holiness, his holiness, just how different he is from us, how riddled with sin we are and how perfect he is. And this is what Leviticus starts out with. And in fact, we see the same thing if you go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 19. When, when God shows his glory to the people, how do they respond? And we, we did talk about this last week. And 
It says, and said to Moses, you speak to us. This is the people saying this to Moses. You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. You guys get this. Like, this God that creates with his words, his speech is not like your speech. I sit up here and blab for 40 or 55-ish minutes. 58, maybe. It just depends. Um, There's no power in them. My words are meaning. I mean, they're only powerful when I'm reading scripture. The rest are just cute words that I put together outside of that, right? But God's word is powerful. His actual word and his written word are powerful. Right? We, read, we read this, that they're, they're useful for correction and rebuke, and, right? like, like they, are, they teach us all things. Like th- this is what the Holy Spirit does through God's word. And so God's words are like legitimately powerful, so powerful that the Israelites are like, don't let them talk to us. We're going to die. You see, this is the holiness of God. This is God's glory. I didn't really realize we were singing this song, so this works out great, Larry. So good job. Good. Turn over to Isaiah chapter six. You want to you want to read a, a a little version of what um, what it was like for Isaiah when he was in the presence of God. Go to Isaiah chapter six, verse one. It says, "In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple." Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This this is what, this is the right response in the presence of God. Now, Jesus came. And we're going to see that as we kind of walk through this. And so we have this different relationship. We have this fulfilled, this reconciled relationship with God now. But, but not at this time, right? Not at this time. The, the, the problem at this time is that God's like, I'm going to dwell in your midst. And they're like, yeah, this is going to be amazing. But it's both awful and awesome. God creates awe get this. This is the holiness of God. It's awful in an awesome way. That's why, we, that's why the Bible says that we ought to fear him. Like we, we should fear him. And if you get wrapped around that, you're like, that doesn't seem like a good relationship. Well, it's not your dad. It's not your grandfather. It's not your best friend. It's God. He's also all those things, but he's God. And we just, I, so let me, let me throw this. If God was next door, okay, okay, work with me here, right? So the tabernacle, 
That was where, right, God gave all the instructions to Moses. They, they, God moved in next door. And inside of the courtyard, like behind those curtains, like that's where God lived. That's where God dwelt in their midst. So if I told you that in, uh, what is sweet is this? Sweet 17 right here. And if you walked out, you could go walk in that door. And you could go see God. Like legitimately. I'm not, it's not true, so just hypothetical. What, w- what would you do? Would you go running over there? Would you be excited? Would you be a little afraid? You see, the difference between that, that just sheer fear of being entirely consumed by the presence of God and being destroyed because of our sin and going over there because we want to see God. The difference between those two reactions is Jesus Christ. Because, frankly, if you're a follower of Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, you could go run right over there. Still in reverence, clearly. But if not, it's a lot of fear. Look at Leviticus 1.1. You see, Leviticus is that book that tells us how do we go into the presence of God without being destroyed. That's what it is. Everybody's excited. God's in our midst. All the nations are going to Fear us because God's for us. This is great. And God goes, careful. I'm not just your next door neighbor. You can't just come running in here. And so look at what it says. And I kind of ended with this. It says, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Moses is outside of it. And so this is where we start today. And we go, Moses is outside the tent of meeting. God's in their midst, but they go, how can we go there? How do we know that it's safe? Last time we saw him in a cloud and we talked to him, who's the first high priest that's going to walk inside of those curtains and go to the Ark of the Covenant and go present a sacrifice? Like, there's some trepidation there. There should be. And so what Leviticus is, is this incredible book where God goes, this is how you do it. This is how you can be in my presence and not die. This is how we can have this relationship. Think about this for a second. Every other religion is like, how does uh, humanity like appease the gods, <laughs> right? And you go, well, I hope I did enough sacrifice, or I hope I did enough good things, or I hope whatever, and then I, I don't know. We'll see. See, Leviticus is God going to man, going, here's the rules, here's the constraints. And this is an early indicator of what Christ is going to do. And we're going to get to that as we walk through this. But he goes, this is how we're going to relate to each other. This is how you're going to be able to come into my presence and know, listen, and know that you're not going to die. He doesn't just create a set of arbitrary rules and we're like, yeah, those are just a bunch of random rules and I don't know, they're from way back then. No, there's a, 
There's a message of grace in this. God chose to do this. He could have left it up to us. And he just like kills this person, doesn't kill this person. You're like, okay, well, what did they do differently? I guess I'll do what they did. Right? He, no, he, he lays it all out. In intricate detail, he lays out what you are to do. All right. So, Leviticus 1. And we're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to come back to this. But, but God establishes what his holiness looks like. And what we, we see this most clearly in Leviticus 9. So, basically, the front part of these is, talks through some offerings. We'll come back to that. Um, and so what Moses does, God gives him instructions for consecrating Aaron and his sons, the priests. He says, these are the people that are going to go between. They're going to be the go-betweens, okay? And it took him about seven days to consecrate Aaron and his sons. Like, God's doing, like, they need to be set apart Okay, right? Holy, we're going to hear this word a lot today, right? Holy, set apart for just this purpose. And so they go through these sacrifices and these things, and they're separated and all this. And so what we read in um, Leviticus 9, verse 23, it says, And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. It worked. Like, God, was, God, God accepted the offering. That's what, that's what this is saying. That Aaron went through all the stuff, they came out of the tent of meeting, Aaron blesses the people, and they have this offering to God, and fire comes out, consumes the entire offering, and it's gone, and the people freak out. They fall on their faces. Because it's not just that God is now dwelling in their midst, they knew that to be true, right? They had seen the cloud, like they knew that God was in their midst. But this is that like, like this, this plan God had, for interacting with his people to being with them was working. Like the rules that he laid out, Aaron being a priest, like it was going to work. Like they could present an offering and God would take the offering. Like I, I understand like this is a lot of like Old Testament-y sacrifices and things like that, but you guys get how significant that is. Now it would be as if you had actual visible confirmation that God was pleased with how you built your schedule this week or how you spent your money this week or how you spent your time and your, your relationships, that, that God somehow went, that was pleasing to me. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be great? You'd be like, I'll take the eraser. Okay, not that. Okay, <laughs> right? That's what this was. And so they were rejoicing. This is, this is awesome. This is fantastic. Read chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu. Now remember, you guys remember last time we heard about Nadab and Abihu? They were with Moses and Aaron and went up and saw God when he was standing on sapphire, right? When we read this in Exodus, and the 70 other leaders. These are the sons of Aaron. So they were up there with him. They, they, they saw God. 
Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. We don't have a lot more details to this, but clearly it was not authorized and it was not one of the commands. (laughs) So what's going on here? We don't know. But look what the results are. And fire, the same fire that consumed that burnt offering, fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. High, high, low, low, right? They're like, this is amazing. God's here. He's, 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 he's accepting our offerings. Whoa. And they're gone. What did that communicate? careful God's no God's not something to somebody to be messing around with he's holy he's altogether different from us this should have this created a lot of fear and you got to imagine that Aaron's sitting there going like I mean I just didn't I mean we just kind of like they weren't doing anything. I mean, you can read into this. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that you have to actually read in that Nadab and Abihu had bad motives. I don't think you have to read that. I think they could have had good motives. But they didn't do what God told them to do. Or they did something that he told them not to do. This isn't something to be playing around with. And so when, when we talk about God being next door and we go, okay, Who wants to walk in there? (laughs) He could accept your offering, or he could just take you. (laughs) Which one is it? This is how the world lives. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the world's predicament. How many times have you heard, I just, I hope, I, I hope God just thinks I've done enough and, you know. Just gonna roll the bones and see what happens, and I'm a pretty good person. I can't imagine he would destroy me. Well, clearly, <laughs> clearly there's some pretty harsh lines drawn by God. So how do we live? How, how does this operate then in our daily lives? And we go, I mean, for us now, right, like on this side of Christ. We go, thank God. And we're going to see more of this as we walk through the sacrifices. But like, like Christ reconciled us to God. There's no longer this like, I wonder what's going to happen. No, he, he gave us his Holy Spirit. We now cry out, Abba, Father. Right? Like, like he is our Father. Like we have this reconciled relationship with God through Jesus Christ. When people say like all, you know, yeah, Jesus might be one way, but these other ways, no, I like no, it, it, it's in, they're mutually exclusive. And anybody that says otherwise doesn't know either of the religions, <laughs> frankly, Christianity or any of the other ones. Because frankly, most of those other religions are mutually exclusive as well. Listen, you either need Christ or you don't. That's it. You either, you either are going to be right with God because he's made you right with him through the sacrifice of his son, or he hasn't. That's it. Right? And so this is where we, we start looking at this and we're like, 
This is serious. The holiness of God is serious. And so, what we see, uh uh-oh, my watch died. (laughs) I never look at that clock. Um, Time stands still. This is great. It's still 1052. This is fantastic. All right, so so when you start Leviticus, the first three chapters, okay, and now I'm just going to, I'm going to give you some some kind of like bounding, like overarching. We're not going to dive through all these verses. Um, the first three chapters are um, uh, relationship offerings. They're out of relationship. That's all they are. There's a, a burnt offering, and that's like the whole thing gets consumed. That's like, I'm totally giving this over to God. It's like when you, I mean, the equivalent now is like when you give away your money, right? And like, whether that's an offering or, you know, whatever, like, like you're not going to get it back. You're not going to get any part of it. That's a burnt offering. It got fully consumed. It was, just, it was just worship, just purely worship of God. There's grain offerings. This was like thankfulness to God. That was the second one that it talks about. And then there's peace offerings. This is a celebratory meal. Like, like literally, God and the priest and the sacrificer, like you all like kind of shared the meal together, and it was like a celebratory meal of this reconciled relationship. And so this is the first, this is where Leviticus starts. In like, not like you're a bad person and you need to do these things and don't do these things. He starts with these beautiful offerings that are like, here's how we're gonna maintain this relationship. Here, here's, here's the good, like, right? Like if you have relationships with people, you probably eat with them or you probably do things with them, right? And have, have time with them. Like, this is what God's doing. He's like, this is how you're going to spend time with me. I'm dwelling in your midst. This is how we're going to relate. And then it shifts over to repentance offerings. These, these are in uh, chapters four through seven. And this is sin offerings and guilt offerings. Sin offerings are for um, unintentional sins or sins that were committed by omission. Like, you didn't even know. So what does that tell us? God's like, hey, listen, even the stuff you don't know about is still sin. <laughs> it's still separating between us. Like there's a, there's a sinful nature part that's part of this. That, like this doesn't have to do with like, well, I didn't mean to. God's like, I know you didn't mean to. It's okay. I've got a provision for this. But you still have a sinful nature. You guys get this, right? Like this is really important. And then there's the guilt offering. This one's pretty cool. This one's like, Unintentional-ish, lying, stealing. Um, I know you might say, like, well, that doesn't sound like that's unintentional. But the way that it's communicated is, like, you then later recognize your guilt and you repent. Then you go and take in the guilt offering. So it, it's, it's unintentional. Like, maybe, like, you were just moving, you were do, doing things, and you're like, ah, I did that. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. And now you've got this guilt. Now you do this. You know what's not in there? There is no offering for intentional sin. None. There is no offering. There is no sacrifice in Leviticus where you go, I'm just going to do this, and I know God doesn't want me to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway, and then I'm just going to go present a sacrifice. That doesn't exist. It's called a high-handed sin. You can read about it in Numbers. Maybe, maybe Spencer will talk about it a little bit. Um, nothing. You're actually removed from the congregation. You're removed from Israel. You know, it's funny, like, we always kind of, maybe not always, but we kind of, 
look back at like the Israelites and we're like, yeah, they just sinned and then they just did the sacrifices and they felt better about themselves. That provision actually isn't in there. Um, mull that one over a little bit. All right. So look, listen to what, so he, he lays out all these sacrifices and all these offerings, same word, right? Same, same context. And he's like, okay, so here's how we're going to, here's how you're going to repair the relationship from a repentance perspective. Here's how you're going to maintain the relationship. This is it. Very, very, you know, it's not, not super convoluted. Um, and then a Leviticus 10.10, this is when it gets a little bit uh, shaky. He says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Nobody knows why some things are clean and why some things are unclean. You can read as many commentaries as you want. People will say, we think it's this. Most of the times they're like, it's totally this, except for this one thing, this one doesn't really fit in. <laughs> Nobody really has a good holistic understanding of why some things were clean and why some things were unclean. It just kind of was. God said, like, hey, here's the things that are clean and unclean. You need to distinguish between what's holy and what's common. And some animals are holy or are, are clean, rather, right? And some animals are unclean. I don't have a good answer for you guys. I, I, I scraped through everything. And, like, I, no, not everything. I mean, come on. Um, but you know what I mean. Like, Nobody really has a real good understanding of why. But let me ask you this. Why do you shake somebody's hand when you meet them? What does that do? How many times? How hard, right? Like, what? There's things that are just kind of part of our culture that we do that some, at some point somebody did the first shake, right? They're like, what are you doing? I don't know. Just grab my hand. Okay. Okay, now we're going to go up and down. Okay, now stop. <laughs> no, release before, stop going up and down before you release, you know, like, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but, but there's, there, and this is kind of where people go, stop trying to, like, we need to stop trying to figure out, like, how to put these things into little buckets and say, oh, this makes sense, why this is clean. Now, there's, there's great reasons, and we can talk about a bunch of them, like, kept Israel healthier, um, they were just, like, actually cleaner things, helped keep the society alive and, and uh, to this day, right? Maybe. And there's some truth to that. Some of that doesn't really uh, last as you kind of go through all of it. But what does he say here in Leviticus 10? He goes, you need to be the ones, talking to the priests, determining what's holy, what's set apart, and what's common. It's ordinary. This was important to them. And so he goes through dietary stuff. He goes through biological things. Like, like clean and unclean had nothing to do with sin. Nothing. Okay? Like, you were unclean uh, after you gave birth. Like, that, it's not sin, right? Like, th there was just, you, you were unclean if you touched mold. Like, it wasn't, it didn't mean anything about you personally. What was God doing? He's saying, listen, you need to think about where you've gone, what you've done, what you've touched, what you've eaten before you come into my presence. That's it. 
You need to think about your life. You need to think about every facet, every relationship, everything that you've done. You need to think about that before you come just prancing into my, into my tent of meeting. That's what he's saying. There's holy inside the tent, and then there's, there's common stuff outside. And he goes, you need to be thinking about this. You guys get that, right? Like, that kind of makes sense. Like, okay, in God's presence, we should be really thinking about what is holy and what is not. All right. Um, Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16. You know what's cool about Leviticus 16, Day of Atonement? It's right in the middle of uh, Leviticus. It's in the middle of the Torah. And the Day of Atonement is like the thing. And so there's all these sacrifices, and then God establishes this one day, Yom Kippur. Okay? I actually just celebrated it, right? Um, and listen to what it says. Leviticus 16.1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil. Now, you remember the divisions, right? You had the outer courtyard. I showed you that picture. And then you had like this other, like where they just had like the sacrifices. Then you could come into the tent. And then there was the holy of holies, the most holy place that was inside the veil. One time per year on the Day of Atonement. And here's Leviticus 16 talking about this. So he says, tell your brother not to come. So here's Aaron, he's the priest. And God tells Moses, don't come in here. Um, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. Life is at stake here. Even Aaron, even as a priest, there's still rules. Right? For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place. And then he sets up the rest of the chapter for what is this way. How will Aaron go into the most holy place? How will Aaron now meet with God face to face like Moses did outside the, outside the camp, right? Like we read about in Exodus. How is Aaron going to do this? And so he goes, here's how it's going to work. It's going to happen once per year. Look at um, uh, verse 16. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place. Sorry, let me set this up a little bit. <laughs> All right, so, so what, he, he gives this process. And the first piece of this process is that Aaron has to make a sacrifice for himself and for the other priests. He has to, he has to be right first. And so that's what we read in, um, I not finish this, I'm sorry. Uh, I deleted it. It's actually at the end of uh, verse 3, 16, 3. It says, but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Okay, sin offering, this is like for repentance, Right? Burnt offering was worship. And so he's like, Aaron's going to bring this in, and this is going to be for him and all of the priests. But then look at what it says in verse 16. It says, thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. All right, 
I'm, I'm picking apart, and maybe I didn't grab the best verses there. Anyway, the first one is like Aaron presents a sacrifice for him and the priest. Then he goes in and presents a sacrifice for the tabernacle itself. Like, he has to atone for it. Why? Because we've made it dirty. <laughs> because we, throughout the last year, right, the Israelites had come in, right, they had presented sacrifices, they had been unclean, and they came in anyway, right? Things happened. And so God goes, first you need to take care of yourself, then you need to take care of the temple, or the, the tabernacle, okay? And then he says, okay, now I want you to grab two goats. Look at the 16, verse 20. And when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities. If you have your Bible open, underline that there. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. How does a goat take the sins for all of the Israelites over that last year? Because God said it would. God, God said, this is how you're going to dwell with me. This is how we're going to dwell together. This is how the relationship's going to happen. You're going to put all of your sins on this goat, and we're going to send it out. So the priests are good. The tabernacle's good. You've put, your, you've put your sins on this goat, and the goat's gone. He's removed sin from you. You guys with me on this? And then look at verse 24. And he shall bathe his body, this is Aaron, in water, in a holy place, and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he goes outside and he offers up a burnt offering. Now the sins are gone. The temple's good. The priests are good. Here we go. Now we're going to present an offering. And what was the burnt offering? If you guys remember, it was just worship. It was just celebration. It was just pure sacrifice and worship of God. And when that was complete, they were fully atoned for. Their sins were gone. The temple was clean. The priests were good. They were good. It was great. It was perfect. This, is, this was the climactic day. It still is for the Jews. It still is. Like, this is the day that they feel closest to God. They say that. Like, that's, this is it for them. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 24. When we finish reading the Torah, you should go back and read, like, all of Hebrews. Because it's, it's like... All the words and stuff that they're talking about, you're like, oh, I've heard that. Oh, I've heard that, right? Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Like the high priest does, right? Instead of going to the holy place that was made by hands, Jesus is going to the holy place, like in the presence of God. Nor was it to offer 
himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared, Jesus, once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You see? God's setting this up. He's like, here's, here's these ghosts, and this is what you're going to do. We have the, the blessing of looking back and seeing like, hey, like Jesus is going to do this once for all, right? Because what would happen with the Jews? Like they would do the, celebrate this day of atonement. They'd be like, we're right with God. This is great. And then they'd like walk out two steps and touch something unclean or, or you know what I mean, run across a dead body or touch mold or something. And all of a sudden they're like, I got to wait 364 more days now. I got to wait. I can't go back in. The right, like, like there was all these restrictions, and now you're like, man, I, I, God's in our midst. He's right here, but I can't go in right now because of my sin and the world and just the uncleanness of the world. I mean, there would be times when people just, you just couldn't, you just had to wait days, weeks before you could go in and worship God. What would that feel like? Could you imagine if we were like, hey, can't come to church on Sunday? You got to take, take two weeks. I don't know, maybe, maybe, then, you, maybe then you'd be like, I'm really itching to go to church, right? Like, but this was how that relationship was being built. And so when you get to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22, he explains, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them that the land where I'm bringing you to live may not vomit you out. So his blessing to Abraham from way back when, he's like, I'm going to give you land. And now God's saying, I'm going to dwell in your midst. But like, there's, this is a relationship that has to be maintained. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I'm driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. Underline that. This is what God's doing. He's separating Israel. He's making them holy. They're his priests, his instruments to what? Reflect God to the world. And we saw this last week. This is why he calls us a priesthood of all believers now. This is our role, to be reflections of God to this world, to hopefully save some so that they would see Christ's love, hear the gospel, and be saved. That's our job. That's, that's the whole reason you breathe right now. You guys get that, right? Like, I'm sure you have a really important job, and you do great things, and your family counts on you, but like, that's all secondary and tertiary. We were created to build God's kingdom eternal worth, eternal significance. He says, you shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. Shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. 
and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And this was his promise to Abraham. It would be my people. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide for you. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We're called to be strangers and aliens in this world. We're called to be separate. Not holy rollers, not like you don't do anything wrong. Right? That, that's not the point. That's a total misconception, right? Like, like, clearly we all sin. That's not the point. The point is that, that we are living for a different purpose, that we are God's children, that we are a royal priesthood. All right. Leviticus chapter 23, almost done. Verse 1. So then he establishes, at the end of all of this, at the end of Leviticus, he establishes parties, feasts. I mean, that's basically it. At the end of this, like, and so, so God's established how this relationship's gonna work, and then part of this is like, here's your, here's your day off calendar. Do we all like the day off calendar that we get, like, at our works? Like, you know, like, every, every government holiday I get off, which is great, um, you know? And so it's like, you, you like that, right? Everybody, it, there's just something even better knowing that you're not working when other people are. I don't know why. Um, that's horrible. The Lord, I'm just going to keep reading. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. And he goes, I'm going to give you 52 Sabbaths. Just chill. Just relax. I got you. I'll provide for you. Rest. Don't work. Like, I, I understand. Like, we look at those things as like a, a bad thing, but this is like, this is God going, you don't need to do any work. And nobody did any work, right? Like, so here's the problem with us, right? Like, some people don't, don't work, and then other people do, and then you feel like you're late, and you got missed emails or whatever, right? Like, nobody worked. And so it was like, this is the Sabbath rest. And then he walks through it. And I think I've got a slide up here. So there's a bunch of Hebrew. Um, and so, so these, are, these are the different uh, um, feasts. There's seven of them. And it starts with the Passover, we just talked about that in Exodus, right? And so they celebrate the Passover and then the first fruits. That was a celebration of like what God uh, had provided for them. Remember we talked about firstborn son, right? Leaving Egypt, first fruits. The firsts are the things, no offense kids, like the first kids are the ones that are like a little extra precious, right? Because you didn't, anyway, uh, I'll leave that one. But right, like the first thing that you earn, like it's important, right? And so that was the first fruits. That was the first harvest. Great, awesome. Now give it to God. Just joking. If you're not a first, that's not. Um, and then you had the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks was kind of a, it was 50 days later, and it was another harvest. Basically, like, hey, uh, by the way, that's also called Pentecost, in case you're curious. It means 50, um, which is just 50 days after uh, the, the Feast of uh, uh, First Roots. Um, so when Pentecost happens in Acts 2, I know us as Christians, we always hear Pentecost, and that's what we think of, but this is what the Jews would have been thinking about uh, at that time. 
And then you zoom back around, you have the Feast of Trumpets. Like, this is just another opportunity for us to celebrate God. This is, um, some believe like this was kind of the Jewish New Year, um, and this is where they, where they would celebrate that. Um, Rosh Hashanah is what, the, what you would know that as. And then you have the Day of Atonement, which we just read about. And so then you have time off for that. And then you have tabernacles. Tabernacles, everybody built Sukkots, which were like basically these little uh, huts. And they all lived outside. This actually just happened as well um, for like a week. And there was, they were reflecting on what God had done and providing for them and caring for them in the desert. And so God appoints these seven feasts and he's like, celebrate. Celebrate me. Celebrate what I've done. This isn't, it's not a sin thing. That's what's so crazy, right? Like, we always look at, like, Leviticus, and we're just like, oh, it's just all about, like, you're a horrible person, and do this, and don't do that. And there's, like, this is just God building a relationship. This is when you get to celebrate. This is when you get to take time off and celebrate with me. And then Leviticus 26, 11. God says, here's, here's how this is going to work. And, and I, I'm having the small groups read through Leviticus 25. Um, the, uh, the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee. So I would encourage you guys to read 25. It is so cool, um, especially in light of God providing manna in the wilderness. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and then uh, Leviticus chapter 26, 11, he says, okay, if you do these things, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves, and I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. So God is, I'm in your midst, and here's the relationship. Here's how you're going to be holy with me. Here's how you're going to be set apart. This is a grace-filled book. This isn't a bunch of rules. Now, in the midst of this, there are rules, right? And there are things like, how do they stay separate from the nations? How do they do things differently? But it's not just obedience for the sake of obedience sake. And frankly, it's not even obedience for the sake of like earning your salvation, obedience, like kind of how we normally think of it. It's this grace-filled book where God goes, okay, I'm in your midst, let's pause. This is how we're going to dwell together. This is how I'm going to allow you to come into my presence and not get consumed by my glory. And so we can sing, show us your glory, God. <laughs> show us your glory. Because we have been adopted because of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And all of this, this isn't like this was a, this case and then God went on some like plan B with Jesus. No, this was setting the stage for all of this. And we're going to see this in Numbers and Deuteronomy in the next two weeks. Let me pray. Father.